as the fourth cup of coffee and another useless look at the notes on the case of the illusionists. That was how he and Carmenate had officially baptized it. Cochrane had decided to go home and try to do something else, at least for the weekend. After driving for half an hour along the Hudson River, he reached the supermarket on Tarrytown's Main Street and bought everything that would allow him to finally cook a proper oriental dinner. Arriving in the driveway of his cottage, he was greeted by the sound of the wind and the scent of fresh grass. Cochrane had taken a deep breath, trying to detoxify himself from the polluted air of New York and adjusting his ears to a much lower volume. Crossing the threshold, he had received the classic grumbling welcome of his roommate, Alistair Crowley, the Balinese cat he had been living with for two years now, and who seemed to be the only company he could tolerate. After a few minutes of mutual pairing, Cochrane put on jeans and a t-shirt and began preparing dinner to the tune of a classic Santana's greatest hits and under the watchful eye of Alistair Crowley for whom he was reserving a good piece of chicken fillet. In the mind, it was exactly how he had managed his Friday night. Nothing noisy like a bar, or claustrophobic like a cinema, and boring like a dinner at the home of colleagues who insisted on inviting him despite all his resistance. Since returning to the FBI, Cochrane had thrown himself headlong into work and had carved out his own space, that of impossible cases because it was clear to everyone that a mind like his, one of those who thinks in unconventional ways, would have made more in absolute autonomy, 
rather than forced into orthodox dynamics in which it would have struggled to function. And he had never failed gaining the esteem of his colleagues and superiors. But above all, he'd never stepped on anyone's toes, which made him well-liked by everyone. Phrases such as, you need a girlfriend, or you can't always be alone, have become the recurrent punctuation of his days in the office. And from time to time, but only out of courtesy, he accepted the invitations and then returned to his own world and stayed there for quite a while. Living had proved easier than expected since he had learned the most important lesson, namely that of compartmentalizing everything seeking an objective point of view on every event, personal or professional. Nothing would have been easy like this, but nothing would have been impossible, and this position gave him the intellectual and emotional freedom he needed. In Bali, he had learned to meditate, pray, connect with the ocean of infinite possibilities that a free mind and heart offered him. The paradox was that this existential awareness had made him impervious to human platitudes making him sigh for a Friday night to be spent entirely at home, perhaps watching a movie and in the company of a cat. Finally, on the sofa, feet and paws in the air, the two were about to enjoy a Hollywood classic, Henry Costa's Harvey. Alistair had fallen asleep almost immediately, despite the bulky presence of the giant rabbit on the screen as Cochrane sipped his Pinot Noir serenely and let his mind empty and his muscles relax at the end of a tiring week. More than an hour had passed since the beginning of the film when James Stewart, Elwood P. Dowd had just told the psychiatrist You see, science has overcome time and space Well, Harvey has overcome not only time and space but any objections Wow, Cochrane, 
got struck by some sort of a revelation. Here I am losing course. I must open my mind. I have to believe what I see and not the other way around. In a hurry, he went to get the USB stick with the films on Pat and Cassandra and inserted it into the TV. Alistair, who is now fully awake, sat down and raised his ears a little as if to show that he was there and that he was 100% involved. The two began to watch Pat and Cassandra's Prodigy's film, but this time with the eyes of admiring spectators and not detectives. Cochrane poured himself another glass of wine and smiled, starting to caress Alistair. I think we might have to start hunting down two Harveys, my dear Alistair. Hotel rooms have everything you need. Beds, showers, towels, television, clocks, toilet, air conditioning, heating, wardrobes, mirrors, private space. There are no vibes, no music, no thrill. The art is sterile. They are clean, but they always lack connections. Pat's mind whirled on the wheel. There wasn't a day when he didn't rethink the incredible situation of observing himself from a fence of looking at a moment of his life as a spectator, as a stranger. At times, he had thought it was all a figment of his own imagination. But there was something like an internal alarm bell that made every cell in his body vibrate giving him seasickness. After all, from that evening at the theatre, nothing seemed to make sense. Oh yes, maybe everything made sense. And it was he who found himself out of place. That's it. That was a familiar feeling. Perhaps the only genetic characteristic that he knew would belong to him in any space and time dimension. What a fucking certainty. 
he got out his favorite plate from his suitcase. It was gray. There was a small blue triangle in the center with five orange squares and rectangles placed randomly over the surface of the plate. He cut two pieces of thin sliced brown bread, cutting off a thick slice of salted butter. He spread it on one of the pieces of bread. On the same piece, he then put an equally thick, bulbous chunk of peanut butter over the top of the butter. Next came the blackcurrant jam. It looked like a Jackson Pollock painting, out of tune, out of focus, and out of mind. Next, Pat added a banana, cut into two, and put it on top of this surrealist sandwich formula. He then cut the banana horizontally and vertically before putting the remaining dry piece of bread on top of it, squashing it down, seeing it spill out like lava from a volcano. Pat cut his sandwich in two. Cassandra was for once speechless. She laughed and said, Have you been smoking? What is that concoction? I call it Heidegger's authentically dangerous hiatus sandwich. If I could get a painting for it, I would. As the dower four on the floor deadbeat world needs this jazz. Cassandra's shoulders seesawed with laughter. There is enough saturated fat on that sandwich to choke you to death. It is a hammer blow to health. Pat replied, Thank you. What a beautiful thing to say, and that is why it is authentically dangerous. Cassandra Gafford, what have you been smoking, and where is the hiatus in this sandwich? In this space, I can connect, I can be glutinous and just be. After this object gluttony, I will go downstairs and take the back streets and find a car to break into. That way, I can dump his mobile phone and laptop with someone who is ideally going on a long road trip. Unaware of his or her cargo until they are too far away to link them to us. 
they will be found deep in the matrix of middle America. Ideally, with no prints or links to us. Once that loose end is catapulted into the patchy doldrums of a million and one realities, we can work on getting out of this hotel room and find somewhere else, somewhere anonymous for us to stay. <laughs>